Genesis chapter 46 is our text. I want to just read again verse 29. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And as he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while, for over 20 years, 20 plus years, they've been separated Jacob did not know of Joseph's well-being or if he was alive. He expected the worst. He was told the worst. And neither did Joseph really know about his father until his brothers came to him. And he imagined that his father had aged with grief and all the circumstances of the intervening span of time. We see this reunion. What What a portrait that an artist could paint, the reunion of Jacob or Israel and Joseph. I want you to know, child of God, this is just a foretaste of the reunion that awaits us. We have been severed, separated from loved ones who've gone before, and one day there will be a grand, grand reunion. We'll see our loved ones, our Savior most of all. We see this beautiful picture. God is always at work, and He will bring His sovereign will to pass. We rest in that today, do we not? Let us ask the Lord to bless His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. You've penned it for us. You've told us that whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning and our admonition that we, through the comfort of Scripture, might have hope. Now equip us, Lord, to live for You. We thank You that our calling never rescinds, no matter what the circumstances are. We're to be salt and light. And may we be that, Lord question today is not whether we are salt and light, but how salty are we? How much light are we shining forth? And may the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shine forth brightly through these earthen vessels where you've entrusted it to us. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. After over 20 years of grief and anguish over the supposed death of Joseph, Jacob finds out that his beloved son is not dead at all, but is in fact very alive and doing quite well. We can only imagine his joy and his elation upon hearing that news. But it was a mixed, bittersweet, confusing time, no doubt. Joy unspeakable, for he that was once lost is now found and thought to be dead yet alive. And then what he had supposed to be true all the time now was finally confirmed and manifested that his other son had acted so cruelly, maliciously, and unthinkably toward their brother Joseph. The joy and the sorrow and the same balances, the scales of Jacob's emotion, pictures for us all of life. Where there's a birth, there's death. Where there's great gains, there are losses. And all throughout life, we live this life through a veil of tears, of joy and sorrow, elation, downcast. And Jacob just pictures for us all that emotion that all of us go through from time to time. And to make matters worse, Jacob was in another quandary. He had to make a decision as to whether he should go or stay. Canaan represented all the promises of God to he and his father and his grandfather. 
It was the, the place of God's blessing, a particular and singular place, the boundaries of that promised land, the land of Canaan, Hebron. Here is where he was told to go. That's where Abraham was to sojourn. And now it is very obvious that, that God has other plans. And he was providentially leading him to Egypt, even against his will. For a while at least, and he did not know for how long, but God will tell him just exactly how long. God does not always and rarely ever tells us all the details of our lives to the end of time. For one thing, we couldn't handle that kind of information, could we? If we knew all the ups and downs, the disappointments and failures that would befall us from now till he calls us home, we would pull the covers over our head in the morning and never ever get out of bed, would we? And yet he gives us our days minutes at a time. And so aren't we glad of that? And though while he does give us from time to time prophecies of what is going to take place, the living out of those things are moments at a time. And what great grace he gives us to do that. Up to this point, Jacob's spiritual journey, every time the Lord had moved him, he had confirmed it. He had spoken to him very clearly and very plainly. And as the Lord's people, we should be very careful about these kinds of life-changing moves, either physically or uh, spiritually. When the Lord is at work, we need to be very careful and very cautious. And so we admire Jacob, who had often acted in his own will and self-interest, is, is hesitating here just for a moment. Do I go or do I stay? At every important move, though, in, God, in his life, God had instructed him. When he left home the first time to go to Haran and to Laban's, God spoke to him at Bethel. When it was time to leave Laban, God instructed him to go back to Canaan. When he left Shechem after the debacle of his sons there, God spoke to him very certainly and plainly. As of yet, in this present situation... All Jacob had to go on was the report of his sons. And let's face it, there haven't been the most trustworthy men up until this point. J Jacob in his elderly years is now being forced to move, something we're very loath to do as we get set in our ways in the second half of our lives. Some like me have been stubborn since we came into this world. Others developed that over the years. And the latter years are very difficult to make these kinds of transitional moves that are very, uh, very tr troublesome in the heart and the mind. He had not heard from the Lord. His sons had warned him. One was being held as collateral. What was Jacob to do? Was he to be manhandled by his sons? Or was this truly the leading of the Lord. God's people often find themselves in a quandary. The facts of life, the loss of job, the physical circumstances, the relationships around us have changed. Uh, beyond our, our, our circumstance, our ability oftentimes to, to do anything about it. And so God presses us into these kinds of situations where we're forced to act and yet, if we have any wisdom at all, if we have any treasure of the will of God at all, we dare not act hastily or out of just dire circumstances. God certainly uses circumstances, but 
Child of God, circumstances alone are not the way God leads. We, we all have circumstances. If we were to stand and give testimony today, that we could recount our circumstances. But beyond what is seen, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is circumstances, right? I can see this. I can know this. I can feel it. This is what has been said or has happened. But the will of God is far, far higher than all of that. And so what are we to do? Aren't you glad that the things were written aforetime were written for our learning? And so often people rob themselves of the blessings of God by just staying in sections of the Bible. Some people never get out of the Psalms. They just rejoice and praise and claim this sweet verse and that sweet verse. And this is where I want to live. I want to live in Psalms. But I want you to know if you read the Psalms far enough, you'll find some dire circumstances, some Psalms of repentance. Why did the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? All kinds of things. Some suppose they'll live in the Gospels. After all, our Lord came to seek and save that which was lost. And some profess to live on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the extent of their theology. Then I warn you that there's a demon-possessed valley down below the Sermon on the Mount where ministry goes on where they're gathering demoniacs and people who need to hear the gospel. And so uh, we, we are forced outside of our comfort zone. Some will stay in the epistles of Paul. After all, this is the day of grace, and we'll study the apostolic writings of the church age. And yet, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable. From Genesis 1-1 to the very last hallelujah of the Revelation. All of it is for profitable, for our learning and instruction and for doctrine, patience, for salvation. All things that pertain to life and godliness are found. This Bible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't narrow it to a book or a section. All of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jacob knew that nothing was too hard for the Lord. And and I, I believe if I would submit that to this crowd this morning, I'd have a hearty amen. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Amen. There's nothing too hard from the Lord. Some of you look kind of doubtful, but I know you believe that to be the case. That he could end the famine and, and change the circumstances. Lord, if you just change my circumstances, that'd straighten everything out. But the famine was not ending. God could end the famine, couldn't he? Oh, he could make Canaan flourish as a land flowing of milk and honey. The, the way he create, created it to be is the garden of the Lord. But right now, there's a famine at hand. I was reading recently about the, the drought in California. And uh, for all of our knowledge and technology, the leaders there say all we can do is manage the water. For all the power of this great nation, we can't cause one raindrop to fall, can we? Can't manufacture water. That essential of life it comes from the hand of the Lord where every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Our blessings come downward. Have you noticed that? Our praise rises upward to the giver of all things, but the, pra- the, the blessings and the, the things we, we need come down to us from the Father's hand. We should be looking up in prayer and praise and expecting the Lord to meet our needs. He could bring the, supply, the needed supplies to Canaan, but that was wearing out, wasn't it? That, that was trickling out. What then? 
We lean upon the supply of our hoarded resources. And I want to remind you, I don't care how much you have laid aside, how much you've got saved up, you can never plan against the the will of God or uh, over and above what God's will may bring. So what do we do? We plan and labor and we we rest and trust in the unfailing hand of our God. After all, hadn't grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac gotten into trouble in years past by going to Egypt? Brother Am, I thought when we went through that portion of Scripture that you taught us that Egypt is a type of the world. Is that not what we learned? And the Bible warns over and over again, go not down to Egypt. Do not trust in the chariots of Egypt. Egypt is indeed a type of the world. However, God is at work. And when He tells us to go... To go there, we had better find out where there is and align ourselves with the perfect will of God. Verse 1 tells us that Jacob, now finally living up to his new name, do you realize his name has been changed for quite a while, but right now the Holy Spirit begins to refer to him as Israel. Is that not noteworthy? I would submit to you that Jacob, it has taken Jacob a long time to grow into his name. And I'm looking at some people who's been named Christian for quite a while. And yet you're just now learning to grow up into that name. With all the blessings and the responsibilities that center around it. Israel is now fulfilling his name and all that God promised through it. Took his journey with all that he had. And offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. What do you do when you don't know what to do? It's a very needful question to have answered. What is Jacob to do? The circumstances are looming dark and ominous. His sons are giving him advice. and He doesn't like what he's hearing. He has a son being held collateral for the misdeeds of the, the other boys. You see all the mixed emotions here. And now you're to tell me I'm to go 250 miles from Hebron to Memphis, no doubt where Joseph's headquarters were, at this great age, and gather every one of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and make that long three-week journey. For what? What will we find when we get there? What do we do when we don't know what to do? We worship. Jacob went to worship. And may I give you that as a prescription, child of God? The dark clouds are on the horizon, and they will come to every life. What do you do when you don't have the answers you need? When life is is looming so dark around us? The Bible says, in the day of trouble, I sought the Lord. I remembered God. Psalm 80 verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. Turn us again, O Lord, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Psalm 84 verse 8, O Lord, God of hosts, hear our prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand in the tents of the wicked. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace 
and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Oh, Lord of hosts. Do you see that title the psalmist keeps calling out? Lord of all the angelic hosts. Lord of all the, the millions of powerful sons of light. Oh, Lord of hosts. Blessed is the man that trusts in thee. Worship is always appropriate. It is what we can do when we don't know what else to do. It is always fitting. It is always the highest duty and the highest privilege of man. The Lord will surely manifest His self and His will to those who truly worship Him. And there's no true worship, I remind you, without His word. Jacob was right to be holding out for a word from the Lord. Jesus said, true worshipers shall worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth, from the heart, from the soul, and according to His Word. There's no true worship without those two wedded together, in spirit and in truth. In fact, He is the Spirit of truth. The the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God go hand in hand, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Verse 2, God spake. Israel. The word does come. When does it come? It comes when he offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. Do you see the order of events here? Never underestimate or never overlook the order of things in Scripture. The Holy Spirit puts them in the order they are for a purpose. He just doesn't. You and I might make a list and we might throw in, and we might put something unimportant over something important, but when the Holy Spirit lists things in the Scripture, when the events come, are unfolded to us just as they are, there is order throughout the Scripture because God is the God of order. And He says, let everything be done how? Just however you feel like it? Is that what it says? Happenstance? No. Let everything be done how? Decently and in order. First comes worship and then comes the Word of the Lord. God speaks to us from worship. Lord, here we are. We're Your people gathered in Your name as we have this Lord's Day. And I will admit to you, this past week has been like a funeral like, like a death in the family. I had the joy of meeting with my college roommate on Friday. He came in, he was performing a, I started to say funeral, but a wedding in North Alabama, and he wanted to meet with me. And we're kindred spirits. And he pastors and has been in his church as long as I've been here practically. And he's an amazing man of God. And we were there having breakfast, and I just happened to look up on the screen when the, the Supreme Court ruling came down. My heart just sank. If someone had called me and told me a relative had died, I don't know if it would be any more of a sinking feeling in my heart. The loss, the grief. As a pastor and a father and a grandfather. The ramifications of, we we think of all the what ifs. And I began to hear from some of you. Your words were so gracious. I had so many of you said, Pastor, I just had to talk to somebody. I just had to to call or text. Worship is always appropriate. I just had to get along and bow my head and say, Even so, Lord Jesus, even so, may Jesus Christ be praised. And I reminded myself that glorious determination of our Lord where he declares, I will build my church 
He didn't say, I'll build my church if the Supreme Court rules according to my word. Or if everything goes smoothly, Christ is building his church. It's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, and he will present us faultless before the Father's throne in glory. May we shine brightly. May we be gracious. May we give out the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone on earth, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The lost are still lost. The gospel is still the only power of God into salvation. Let us lay hold of the the resources of our great God. Worship lifts the soul to God. Worship expresses the deep needs of the heart. It praises God for who He is. That's why we read from the Psalms and direct our hearts in prayer in the Scripture here because we always see who God is. We must be reminded of His attributes and His glory and His purpose and His sovereignty. We praise God for who He is and what He has done We rehearse the things that He has done and those things that He has promised to do. Worship reminds us of all these things because we constantly need to be reminded. That's why when He gave the the law, He said, remember the Sabbath day. Why? We need to remember it. We need to remember that I am the Lord thy God. There is no God beside me. I made heaven and earth. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have nothing between you and me. We have to be reminded of that. And worship calls us to a higher plane, to look upward, to lift up our eyes to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord, not from Washington, D.C., or from Montgomery, Alabama, or from the, the Wall Street stock markets, all the devices of man. We look beyond all these things. Creator God of the universe who holds all things by the word of his power. Who will move his sovereign will to the very last thing that's ever done. And then begins the eternal day. We have great confidence in him. Remember. Remember. Worship calls us to remember. To look beyond the circumstances. Beyond this valley of the shadow of death. Where we'll fear no evil. We look to the house of the Lord. But. While we're here, we're to occupy till he comes. When God speaks, as he does to Jacob here, who who needs a word from the Lord, when God speaks, there's only one appropriate response. He says here, notice the repetition of Jacob's name there in verse 2. Jacob, Jacob. What is the Lord doing here? The reason the Holy Spirit tells us that is because he's calming Jacob's troubled heart. When you say to a child, you call their name. When you repeat something, it is with kindness and emphasis. Darling, darling, a little child who's crying or maybe had trouble of a nightmare. You comfort them. And when you call someone's name, when you say their name and how you say it, can you imagine the Lord calling Jacob's name? It reminds me of him calling uh, Samuel and, and, and Saul and, and all the others, when he repeated his name, Jacob, Jacob. He's having to get Jacob's attention. And he does that through worship. Jacob has just offered the sacrifices. and He's done all he knows to do in that time and place. And that was to build an offer and to offer the best that he had in a bloody sacrifice before the God of ages. Still no word. 
And then the word comes. Make no mistake about it. The word will come through worship. And he speaks to him and he says, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. There's only one response to the word of God. Let me remind you that the reading of God's word this morning and the preaching of it is just as important, is on the same level as God saying, Jacob, Jacob, then. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We've not followed cunningly devised fables. Peter said, who stood at the transfiguration and heard the very voice of God say, this is my beloved son. Just as audible as Jacob heard it, he's the one that said we have a more sure word of prophecy. That's why we're to give attendance to reading until he comes. The public reading of Scripture, the private reading of Scripture. I would challenge you sometimes in your personal worship to read the Word of God aloud. Try that. It gives it authority and emphasis that you might miss... It will, it will certainly cause you to think as you hear your voice reading the Word of God. It gives a somberness to it. And some of you who have trouble with your mind wandering, that might, might help in that matter. To read it publicly. Read it with emphasis. Pronounce the words, every syllable, slowly. Read your daily portion from time to time in that way. You'll hear all the authority of heaven come down to your heart and soul. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And God speaks through his word today just as surely surely as he did to Jacob in that day. Jacob, Jacob. And he said unto him, here am I. There's only one response to the word of God and that's submission. Here am I at your disposal. Or speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Are you hearing today? God is speaking. There's no doubt about it. The question is, are you listening? What did our Lord say? He that has ears to hear, let him do what with them? Zone out? Tune out? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know that we're going to give an account for every privilege of hearing God's word? Oh, the the privilege of hearing God's word by his prophets, by his evangelists, by his pastors. Here we have an example of God revealing his will by closing all the doors but this one. Aren't you glad when God does it that way? There's not three doors. You ever remember the old game shows behind door number one, door number two, door number three? Behind door number one was the Corvette Stingray. Behind door number two was the bicycle. Behind door number three was the old jalopy. You remember those, those, those things? And invariably, I would choose door number three. And open up the door and there it would be, old jalopy. Aren't you glad when God limits his will to just one door? This is the way. Walk ye in it. I think we should pray, Lord, especially when these life-changing moves. Lord, I'm so dumb and stupid. I'm just speaking for myself. You can pray this way. Lord, I'm so, so dense. If you don't hem me in and fence me in and slam and lock and bar every door and make me go through the door, I'm afraid I'll claw one of those barred doors open. And I don't want to do that. I want to go in the way that is plain. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, we ought to pray. So please order my steps. And and do use those circumstances to show me which door to go through. At last... He, he finds and hears from the Lord. 
And God closes every door but that one, forcing Jacob and all of his, his, his households to, to go to Egypt where he would let them be preserved for over 300 years. The journey of 300 years is about to begin. At last, he will lead them out with his outstretched arm after 300 years, defeating the armies of Egypt and bringing them victoriously and gloriously through the the Red Sea and to the land of promise. But first, all of that lies ahead. We, We think of Egypt's the Israel going through the Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies being drowned. None of that would have happened. The arm of the Lord being made bare and, and glorious in power and might. First, Jacob has to get up from Hebron and start toward Egypt. But he pauses and worships and God speaks. God assures Jacob that or Israel now that he's being called that he, the, the creator and sovereign God, would lead and guide and protect and bless him all his way to Egypt and in Egypt just like he had in Canaan. Aren't you glad that our God can do that? He's not he fenced in with the circumstances of governments and parliaments and job failures and all the different things that might be befalling us just now. Notice there in verse 4, he promises Jacob that he will bring him out of Egypt again. Not as Jacob expects. Jacob will be brought out a corpse, but he will come out of Egypt. Genesis chapter 50, verse 13, For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with a field for a possession for a burying place. God promised Jacob, I'll not leave you in Egypt. And he didn't. He brought him physically out. I want you to know that God is not going to leave us here, child of God. A greater than, than Jacob has promised us, I go to prepare a place for you. I don't know what all that involves, but it must be an elaborate preparation. It's, it's been about 2,000 years, but of course there's no time with God, but He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so we can only surmise about that. It must not have been all finished or he wouldn't have had to go and prepare. I think our our works and our labors, as we heard about in Sunday school, go into that reward that he has. He will bring his reward with him, his saints with him. All that's very mysterious, but it's true. And we ought to ponder about the deep things of God and, and focus on what we can do. We can be faithful That's what he promises to bless and reward our our faithfulness. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, that condition, of course, he, he had to go before he could come back. And so he goes to prepare a place for you. What is the rest of that promise? I will come again. When God builds anything, he does it with expertise and care. God is going to build a nation from poor, failing, scheming Jacob. He will use his 12 sons, which is just pure grace, isn't it? Would you choose any of them? You might choose one or two of them, but the most of them wouldn't get my vote. I wouldn't be, they wouldn't be on my list of 12, would they be on yours? But you know what? If I could see your heart as God sees it, 
you probably wouldn't be on that list either, would you? And if you knew me as I know me, I wouldn't be on your list either. And so what do we do? We just describe it all to the pure, sovereign grace of God and bow right there. It's a miracle that any of us have been seen fit to be used by the Lord. He'll choose these 12 unlikely men to found the greatest nation on earth. Later, he will choose 12 apostles. Some of them weren't very good examples some of the time, were they? Peter denying, Thomas doubting. We could go down the list, but when God builds anything, he does it with great expertise and care. And Jacob's descendants will need the discipline and the correction that they will receive while living in Egypt for 300 plus years before they're ready to fulfill God's role of being the leading nation in their own country back in Canaan. God perfects his own. In chapter 41, verse 7 of Isaiah, the Bible says, So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that are strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not find them. Even them that contended with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing, as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. Of course, Jacob is a worm. You're a worm. People don't like to hear it, and they've cut it out of some of the the songbooks. For such a worm as I. We are a worm, aren't we? Apart from the redeeming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just frail dust and dirt. From ashes to ashes, that's where we'll go, from dirt back to dirt. Unless there's the glorious resurrecting by the power of God. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and you men of Israel, I will help thee. Oh, what a word. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Jacob needed a word, didn't he? How did he get that word? He worshipped And the Lord gave him that promise. The children of Israel will inherit Canaan, but they are not ready to do that yet, are they? Are they ready to take over Canaan? We saw what a debacle they did at Shechem. What would Jacob's sons do if they were in charge of anything? So God must perfect them. God must first make a great nation of them to inhabit the land. 
He's going to use them to drive out the people. He's going to give the inhabitants of Canaan over 300 years to repent. And largely they will not. Just a handful. Rahab the harlot. One here. One there. A handful here. A handful there. And then God will bring judgment. He has to prepare Israel to be Israel. What does he do? How does he do that? He sends them to Egypt for 300 years where the circumstances will force them to be preserved as a nation. The Egyptians will force them. Remember, notice how the Holy Spirit keeps showing us that the, the Egyptians look down on shepherds. What did jo- Joseph tell his father and his brother? When you come, tell them up front what you do. Why? Why are they to announce their their occupation which they know will be loathsome in the ears of the Egyptians. I'm going to use a word here that some people will take issue with. It's become an ugly word, and I'm not meaning in any sense to cause any pain whatsoever, but God will have to segregate Israel for 300 years because if they had been left in the land of Canaan, they would have been married, intermarried with the pagan idol worshippers, and they would not have been preserved a nation because God is going to send the blessed Messiah through Israel. And so what does Joseph say? When you get here, tell them what you do because they're going to make you live over there in Goshen. They won't intermingle with you. They won't have anything to do with you. God is fencing in his people. Do you see how he, he fences us in so that we must do his will? I think we ought to pray, Lord, fence me in. Don't let me climb over the fence. Use the circumstances of my life to fulfill your calling in my life. God will make a great nation of them, but first they must be taught. They're going to be treated very harshly before it's over with. In this world, ye, what? Shall have a little hard time every once in a while, maybe. Is that what the Scripture says? Our Lord promised, in this world, ye shall have tribulation. But... One of those holy conjunctions. But, we're not to emphasize, when you see the the conjunction there, you don't dwell on the first statement. You look forward to the second statement. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. Has he not overcome the sin, death, hell, and the grave? He holds the keys to it all. He will reign. Jesus shall reign from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. He's preparing us for that. His saints shall reign with Him. God in His sovereignty sends them to Egypt to be preserved as a people. They will be forced to worship the one true God. They will not intermingle on a day-to-day basis with the Egyptians for a while. And their own peculiar culture will be preserved, centering their lives around the Lord, the Creator of heaven, rather than the pagan gods of earth. Henry Morris writes, all of this would forge them into a distinct, and unique people ready to receive and promulgate the laws of God and the great plan of God. Notice the prophecy that God gives Jacob in verse 4. God's word is, after all, a prophetic word. He always tells us what he's going to do. If he says, I will build my church, he does it. And then he, he gives us the pattern, and then he gives us how he's doing it. He's going to make of them a great nation. And look what he tells him. Joseph will put his hand upon your eyes. What is he saying here? Jacob, 
you're going to die. And he, now, Jacob's always ready to die. Have you noticed that every time something hard comes up, I'm ready to die and go meet my, my maker, go meet my forefathers. And it's almost like the Lord says, hush up, Jacob, you're not going to die yet. He's 130 years old now. He lives 16 more years. 17 more years. I'm ready now to die. I've seen Joseph and now I can die. Well, no, you're not going to die. You've got some more work to do. And that's what I say to you. Some, some people wait to die half their life. I'm going to die. Yes, you're going to die. You may live another hundred years. You never can tell. You better get prepared for whatever the Lord has for you and live for Him. Seventeen years of sunshine. We have visitors in case you didn't, didn't know. Y'all come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll come right ahead. Seventeen years of sunshine and blessing. What a picture we have here of this old pilgrim making one last journey. And to a new and strange land. Now, most of us would chafe at that, wouldn't we? But change is coming. Ultimately, we're going to transition from these bodies here on earth to our heavenly and eternal home. We shall all be changed. But right now, the Lord is calling. He's calling His own. He's building His church. He's calling you by the gospel. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me, pleading for you and for me. Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing, passing for you and for me. Shadows are gathering. Death's night is coming coming for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, weary of your sin, weary of life as you now know it, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. There's only one answer that's appropriate for the gospel call. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and pulls with the power that holds the universe together. Like a giant magnet, God is drawing you to Himself. And all you can do is say, Speak, Lord. Speak. Here am I. Have you come to the Lord in that way and just simply presented yourself to Him? Here am I.